Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, with Pastor John King. Good morning. Uh, give me just a second, folks. I'm doing something. I'll just tell you what I'm doing, okay? You want to know what I'm doing? Let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm what? I'm ordering off of Amazon. I'm doing something I should have done already. Um, no. No, no, no. Uh, I'm doing what I should have done already, and that is turn off the auto lock. No, not silence. Not silence. Um, so that I can set my timer, okay? How's that? You okay with that? <laughs> I wouldn't, don't, don't expect an applause for that. Goodness gracious. Time, the clock's ticking. Uh, I try to be sensitive to you guys and to the folks in the back. Uh, I'm learning that you give a person a pulpit, they can abuse it sometimes and go a little bit long. So, um, This week we're going to be in Mark chapter 14. We're starting the, the, uh, the longest chapter in the book of Mark, chapter 14. And we'll be covering verses 1 through 11. Real quickly, Jesus concluded his famous Olivet Discourse. That's what we were at last week with a universal warning for both the future tribulation saints and for all of us today, as a matter of fact, and that's simply to be on watch. You know, sometimes we look at prophetic scriptures and we say, how can we apply, you know, this whole thing about application, which is very important. We want to be able to apply the Bible to our lives. Well, Jesus left us with an application word last week. He said to watch, to be on watch. To not Because we don't know the day or the hour of Jesus coming. We don't know when the rapture will occur. We don't know when that trumpet will sound and he will call first the dead to rise out of their graves and those of us who are alive, if, we're, if it happens during our time. Now today, as we, we said, we're going to begin the longest chapter in Mark's Gospel. And it's going to cover the Last Supper, Jesus' betrayal, his arrest and trial before the Jewish council, and of course Peter's denial. But before those events, today, Mark gives us another story within a story. We call that a sandwich. He kind of puts a part of a story, then he switches to another story, and he concludes it with the other uh, slice of bread, if you will, the other part of the original story. He's going to show us the stark contrast between the treachery of Judas and the Jewish leaders and the lavish love and worship excuse me, of Mary. So if you will, follow along. We're going to read our verses for today. Mark 14, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Mark writes, After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table... A woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me, 
For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the refreshing qualities that your word brings to us when we have a a willing heart and an open mind and an open heart to receive from you, Lord. Your word is is not only nourishing, it's, it's like food to us, but it's also like water that rinses. It's like refreshing coming upon us, Lord, as the power of the Holy Spirit can quicken our hearts and help us to understand your word in a deeper way in a way that the world doesn't understand. Lord, you have given that to us as a gift, as a foretaste of your goodness. Lord, we thank you for that. So speak to our hearts this morning. Teach us what we need to hear from you, Lord God. Every person that's here and every person that hears this message, may their life be changed and transformed once again by your word. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, Amen. So we start out here with the plot to kill Jesus. You know, as you've been following along in the Gospel of Mark, you know that Jesus has been talking about this for just about the entire time of his ministry. And so we we come, it says, after two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So this would have been uh, Wednesday in the week. If you look over at Matthew 26, in the parallel verse, Matthew 26, verses 1 and 2, it says, now it came to pass when Jesus finished all these sayings. In other words, at this point in time, they're still on the Mountain of Olives. He's finishing up the Olivet Discourse. Again, they're sitting opposite the temple, looking, and he just described what was going to happen at the end, day, end of time, that how uh, you know, the, the temple would be destroyed how the uh, tribulation would begin and how the tribulation would end with his second coming. And then he says, you know that after two days in the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Now we see again this, this Passover, the Feast of Love and Bread. This was the first of three great annual festivals celebrated in the month of Nisan, which is March and April. The months overlap. Nisan is half of March, half of April. From the 14th to the 31st, the Passover was a celebration of Israel's release from bondage in Egypt and their official beginning as a nation. And we see here that the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him. They wanted to put him, they wanted to trick him and put him to death. They relentlessly opposed and they openly discussed among themselves what they were planning on doing. That word trickery, it means crafty or deceitful secretly and of course to put him to death is to kill him this was a very dramatic and tragic scene thousands of people had come and were preparing for the passover while at the same time the religious leaders were plotting to kill jesus even though he had informed his disciples they didn't grasp that he jesus would be the actual passover lamb he would be the one sacrificed with his own blood, and he would cover the sins of many, just as the blood sprinkled on the doorpost did in the original Passover. 
And so they're discussing how they're going to take him and kill him. But then they said in verse 2, but not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. You see, they hadn't quite figured out how they were going to carry this out. They didn't know how they were going to arrange Jesus' death. And they knew that the timing of his death was very critical. Jesus was a very popular figure. Just a few days ago, Jesus entered the city on a donkey to shouts of Hosanna. And they were laying down the palm branches, you remember that. And they wanted to crown him as king right then and there. And so they said, not during the feast. We don't want an uproar of the people. They were calculating and they were politically motivated. They desired nothing more than the praise of men, wrote Matthew Henry. They dreaded nothing more than the rage and displeasure of men. You know, political motivation and, and not, having, uh, not serving God as he calls us to do and those who are given over to the lust and power of this world. They look to people, they look to be people pleasers. We see it all the time. We see the power of peer pressure and the power of the press, power of the social media, and how shameful it can be to be disliked by others. And so they dreaded the thought that they would offend any of their constituents, even though they hated Jesus all the more at the same time. John MacArthur writes this, he says, Apparently their plan was to seize Jesus secretly and then wait to murder him until after the feast was over and the hundreds of thousands of Jewish pilgrims visiting Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover had returned home. They were going to kidnap him, maybe take him and hide him in a place before they could kill him. He goes on to write, he says, From the perspective of the religious leaders, Passover was the worst time to kill Jesus. They desperately wanted to wait until after the festivities had ended. But their evil schemes could not postpone what God the Father had providentially designed. See, Jesus came to die. And they wanted to put him to death, but they didn't understand that their motives and God's plans would be, God's plans would overwhelm them. Over the previous three and a half years, he writes, there were multiple occasions when they wanted to murder Jesus in a fit of violence, but they were thwarted. We see the stories all through. At this point, their cold calculations led them to postpone his death. Again, they did not succeed because they were not in control. When they finally achieved their goal of crucifying Jesus, they did so at the exact moment they were hoping to avoid. Clearly, their plans were superseded by the sovereign providences of God, writes John MacArthur. Proverbs 16.9 says this, and it's true over and over again. You see it in your life. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You see, we, we, even as believers, we petition the Lord, we come before the Lord, and we seek to go a certain direction, and sometimes He grants that direction, and sometimes we find ourselves in a place we said, Lord, I don't even know how You put me here. I don't even know why I'm in this situation. But I trust You because I know You've directed my steps. And that's exactly what God does to every man and woman, every leader in this crazy world we're living in right now, no matter how much or little sense it makes. Don't think for a moment that God doesn't understand what He plans to do and the steps that He is directing to the world leaders right now, at this moment. 
which is why we should pray for them. We should pray that they would seek God's wisdom and that they would seek to give us and we would preserve the right that we have in this country to be free, free to meet. We should pray for God's wisdom for that. We should pray that our leaders hear from them, hear from the Lord. And so we have that sandwich, remember? We just went through the first slice of bread. Now we're going to get to the meat of the message today. A picture of worship. You see, Mark is going to take us in a different direction right now. In fact, he says, and being, verse 3, and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. What, wait a minute. Weren't they just in the, on, the, on the Mount of Olives? Weren't they just sitting there looking at, no, but for us, they were, but for us, he's taken them back. He's given us a flashback to the previous Saturday. If you look at John 12, 1, John, we're going to reference John 12 throughout this part of this message this morning because it's parallel. It says then, John 12, 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And so they came to the Simon, the, the house of Simon the leper. And so apparently they were gathering for a celebration. You know, we were coming back to that six days prior they were gathering at the house of this man, Simon the leper, to celebrate the wonderful thing that had just happened. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Martha and Mary and everybody was there. There were many, many people who witnessed it, all the disciples. And so here they were in the house of Simon. Now Luke identifies this man, Simon, as one of the Pharisees. The, one of the Pharisees had actually invited Jesus over for dinner. You see that in Luke 7, 36 and 39. See, oftentimes we think the Pharisees are beyond reach. They all hate Jesus. Well, most of them did, but not all. Some of them came to know the Lord, never doubt what God can do to change a heart. Some believe that since Simon had been the one healed in order to host, and since there was no cure for leprosy at this time, we've learned this by now. We know that leprosy had no cure. They were separated from the people. They were kept in isolation. So he had to have been healed, and it had to have been by Jesus or one of his disciples. He wouldn't have been able to host a party had he not. But he was still known as Simon the leper. And it says, as he sat at the table, Jesus sat at the table. Now, we think sitting down in a chair, and I can't, I've been thinking about this a little bit lately. Um, they didn't sit, they actually reclined. Can you imagine that? We'll go to lunch after church, and we'll you know, kind of just... Find a place where they have a nice low table where we can lay with our head down and our feet away from the table, of course, and we'll be kind of lounging and eating. That was, that was common. They recline. I, I can't imagine it. I don't think you guys can either, as, much as, as convincing as I am, I'm sure. Um, now we see in John chapter 2, it says that they made him a supper and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Kind of puts us in the moment. And, and in Mark, it says, a woman came. Well, who was this woman? Well, we look to John. It was Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. Because, as we said, she had witnessed Jesus raise her brother, Lazarus. John 12, 3, you see it there. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. 
But Mark kind of, he doesn't give us as much detail. He talks about her coming with an alabaster, alabaster flask. This was a type of stone that was used to make vases and jars to hold this precious oil. And what is spikenard? What is that? You know, you don't see that in, at Walgreens very often. Spikenard. Um, it was a very fragrant or, or, you know, it was from East India. So this was a, something that had to be imported from East India. It was from the, the nard plant. Interesting. Uh, I won't get into the, the, the scientific name. It yields a juice of delicious odor, which the ancients used either pure or mixed in the preparation of a most precious ointment. You know, we talk, I, I'm not into essential oil. Some of you are, and that's a good thing. Uh, but, you know, I don't understand, but apparently this has always been a source of refreshing. This oil, you know, it can be a source of refreshing. This expensive oil was used very sparingly, and we'll see why in a minute. And it would refresh a person's skin in the hot and dry weather conditions. You know, they didn't have air conditioning, obviously. But it was so expensive that only the wealthiest citizens would typically have access. So she's carrying this flask of something that's very very precious. And notice what Mark says, that she broke the flask and poured it on his head. You know, it wasn't just taking a little dropper, a little dribble, and what rubbing it in her hands. She broke the flask and she poured it on the Lord's head. She wasn't planning to apply it sparingly. And as we read in John, she also wiped his feet with it and she used her hair. So this is a, an amazing show of true worship and adoration. She anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Mary's anointing of Jesus was a selfless act. It was a very costly act. It was an act of love and faith in the Lord Jesus. Very simply put, Mary anointed Jesus to show him how deeply she loved him and believed him to be the true Messiah. The anointed one of God. He was this, her Savior, her Lord and her King. She had placed him where, you know, he needs to be in all of our hearts. He had done so much for her and her family. She wanted him to know how much she appreciated, how much she loved, and how much she believed in him. But in contrast to that, we see the reaction from those that were there. They couldn't believe what was happening. Look at verse 4. It says, but there were some who were indignant among themselves they were they were very displeased in other words they didn't approve of this one bit and that some was specifically when we refer to some in mark john names him it was judas john 12 4 one of the disciples judas iscariot simon's son the one who would betray him and he said why was this fragrant oil wasted wasted it was lost and ruined and he goes on he says for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor now 300 denarii in that day was a, an entire year's wage for a, the average working person so she had just dumped a, a year's worth think about it in modern day you know the average wage in america for instance she had just dumped sixty thousand dollars worth of oil on Jesus' head. And he said, you know, it could be given to the poor. We call that virtue signaling. We see that all the time. 
If you don't know what it is, uh, <laughs> uh, let me explain it to you later. But in other words, um, it, it, what, well, what it really means is I'll say something in public to look good in the eyes of man. Despite what my heart says, John calls him out. John 12, 6, he said, This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box. He used to take what was put in it. You know, that's a reminder to us when we decide we're going to make a profound statement. When we want to put something up on Facebook, and, and I'm not trying to question anybody's motive here, but I, I've, been, I've been guilty of it. We've got to be careful um, to check our motives before we throw things out there in a, in a sense so that we might consider, you know, this whole uh, like, you know, the, the, way, the way things are now in social media, one of the things you do is you post something on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, whatever you have, and then you, you wait to see how long people are going to respond to it. You know, you wait to see perhaps how many like, don't tell me you don't, because <laughs> I know you do. Because what it does is it gives you kind of a rush. It's kind of like a little dopamine. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little bit of a rush. It's kind of like we crave. And it's kind of strange what's happened in our society, isn't it? Uh, we, we're, we're in this, this world of, of, my goodness, and it gets, it gets out of hand. It gets out of hand. So we need to be careful about that. And it says they criticized her sharply. They, they were angry, and they let her know it. They were telling her, we, you know, now look, again, maybe you've been on the receiving end of murmuring and criticizing your devotion to Jesus. Maybe you've had that happen to you. Chances are you have. Once you became a Christian, maybe the first people who uh, started to murmur about you were your relatives. Maybe it was your parents, unfortunately, or a brother or a sister. And they start asking you questions or they're thinking, why do you need to go to church so often? Why do you need to go Sunday and Wednesday? <laughs> what are you, crazy? <laughs> Why do you commit to give your money to your church? How far are you going to take this thing you call faith and belief? That's the kind of thing that happens, murmuring. And, th and that's happening right there among the disciples because Judas had drug a bunch of them along with him. You know, the influence of somebody like that. But Matthew 5.16 says this. He says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's nothing wrong with doing things, good works, but it's to bring glory to God. And so we don't want to be like uh, you know, a light under a bed. We don't want to put a, a, a cover over our lampstand. We want to shine for Jesus. But the motivation is what matters. Now, what would Jesus say in this situation? Well, we find out right away. Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? In other words, back off. Back off. Why are you making things difficult for her by embarrassing her at this point time? He said, she has done a good work for me. What's a good work? Well, it's, in Jesus' words, it's a praiseworthy and something wholesome. It's a beautiful thing, in other words. You know you want to hear that from the Lord, don't you? I mean, if we want to receive praise, if we want to see, receive honor, He's the one we need to please, and He's the one that we want to hear it from. We want to all stand before the Lord and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. And then He says in verse 7, He kind of, he kind of explains to him. He says, look, for you'll have the poor with you always. 
In fact, Deuteronomy 15.11, God himself said, For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. And so Jesus is saying, that's going to happen. That's going to be a reality in life no matter what. And yes, you are to care for them. And he says, whenever you wish, you may do them good. So the opportunity to care for others and the needs of others will never go away here on earth. But he's saying, but for me, you don't have always. I mean, Jesus is being jealous over his disciples. And he's saying, look, I'm not always going to be here. I'm entering the last week before my crucifixion is what Jesus knew. And their opportunity to worship and to sit at his feet while he was with them in the flesh was coming to its end. And so it appears that only Mary had that straight. You know, every time you see Mary, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. So it's a matter of priorities and understanding being circumspect in the time that you're living in. And he's explaining to them. And so he says in verse 8, she has done what she could. And I love that verse. She has done what she could. She's done what she's able to do. That's a challenging question for you and I right now. Have I done, and we're not talking about work salvation. We're talking about as a result of your salvation, how you honor and praise Jesus. Mary apparently knew better than the disciples that the time was short. And so he says, she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. She knew. He's been telling them, but she really understood it. One pastor points out that the fragrance of this oil was so, in its undiluted form, it was so potent that it would last for several days, perhaps several weeks. This was the fragrance on our Lord's body. This was the fragrance on our Lord's body during his torture. This is what the, the guards and the, the, those who would beat him would smell. This is what he brought on his crucifixion. He would carry the scent all the way, of this anointing oil, all the way to the cross and to the grave. And he says, assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel, and this is why Jesus says, one of the reasons why he says it, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world. What's he talking about? Well, the Bible is by far the most popular book ever printed. The most popular book ever printed. If you're going to look at it, it's simply a book. Thank you to the Gutenberg Press and now the modern things, but it's been, it's been with us and it's been in demand for century upon century. And he says, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Strange. Her name would be remembered. Jesus made sure to, make, to let them know, and indeed it is true. The story of Mary's lavish and sacrificial worship is spoken at, at countless Bible studies, sermons, Sunday school, VBS, and they will continue until the call he calls his church home. Not only does Jesus defend her vigorously, but he lets everyone know that her devotion would be known for generation upon generation. Was she seeking the praise of men? No. So here we see, you know, for us, it's, it's really a time for us to kind of reflect on it. We, we, can, we can start to really apply some of these 
principles and truths to our lives. We see in this, this picture of this extreme contrast between the utter hatred of those of the chief priests and the scribes and the profound love and worship of this woman Mary. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15 and 16. The fragrance of our faith. To some it is a sweet aroma, and to others it's like the stench of death. When you identify as a Christian and live your life as a Christian, Paul writes, he says, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death, leading to death. People avoid you. They know you're a Christian. They know you're a believer. They don't want you to invite them to church. They don't want to hear about Jesus. You remind them of their sin every time they see you, even if you don't say a word. Aroma of death leading to death. But to other, the aroma of life leading to life, why it's so important for us to gather and meet and to love one another and to care for one another. And Paul says, who's sufficient for these things? You know, the day is, is, has already arrived, really. We, say it, we might say it's fast approaching when the lukewarm attitude of many about the gospel will be forced to be either hot or cold. It will be forced. Please keep in mind that people-pleasing is futile. We are to be most concerned with what Jesus thinks of us. I received a text last night from a young man who's on a chat room. And he's wondering if he should leave the chat room. He's very conflicted about it. He's a young Christian, a believer, I'm not going to name him. But he... He's being pressured because there's a lot of LGBTQ friends and people coming into this chat room. And it's, you know, it's, a, it's a form of oppression in his eyes. And he's not sure what to do. And he's very concerned about pleasing them. You know, because, you, again, we know that when you anger people in cyberspace, it can come back on you. It can bite you. And so he's having to make some hard decisions about where he stands for Jesus what he's going to do. And you parents, you need to pay very close attention where your kids are going on the internet, by the way. Mary has just shown her unashamed affection towards Jesus. And then Jesus defends her by saying she's done a good work for her, for me. So this begs the question to you and I, doesn't it? What part of your life are you holding back? What part of praise, what lavish love to God am I holding back? When it comes to, being, to loving Jesus, just, we're just talking about the fact that you love Jesus. It's not that you act self-righteous or you're you know, a pious person and religious person. People need to know that you love Jesus Christ. And so what would you and I be accused of? And what would be criticized over in our affection for Christ? We know that good deeds and act of kind service is vital. Okay, it's vital. 
But worship and love for the Lord must be our priority. Mark 12, 30. He says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. You can't have the second commandment right unless you have the first one right. The second one, of course, is, he says, in the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And you say, well, how do I change my fragrance? Maybe, you know, it's not a different type of cologne or a different type of deodorant. Thank you, thank, you know, for using that. Uh, but how do I change my fragrance when it comes to what, you know, what is it that makes me bring the aroma of my love for Jesus? It's hard for a guy to explain these kind of things, isn't it? Well, the answer is that we worship and we praise the Lord. And I'm not talking about maybe, a sh you know, uh, just because you came here Sunday and you sang a song. Uh, you know, worship and praise of Jesus is a lifestyle. And yes, we get to express it in song and it's a wonderful thing, but it's a lifestyle. And so the way you and I change our fragrance if we've, if we've gone sour, maybe, you know, we stink because of our attitude about the world, which is a mess. And all we want to do is talk about how terrible it is. Maybe people know, you know, you got this Eeyore type personality where you tend to lean in the negative all the time. How do we change our fragrance? Praise and worship God. Psalm 31, 23, it says... Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. I told you we were going to go to a other part of it. That was, that was the meat of the message, if you will. But now we see here at the end, we return back to the betrayal. The betrayal. Verses 10 and 11. It says, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. You see, the plot was still in action. We, we took a little break. Mark gave us a little time to be with Jesus, to sit at Jesus' feet and to examine and to see a wonderful uh, portrayal of true love and of devotion. But now we're back to reality and the real story here, the present time. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, He had intimate fellowship with Jesus and the disciples. He was personally trained for service in God's kingdom. He was one of the family. One of the family. One writer puts it this way. He says, No name in all of human history is more infamous than Judas Iscariot. Though he was one of the twelve, constantly in the presence of Jesus for more than three years, he squandered that unique privileged opportunity and chose instead to betray the Son of God to his killers. He goes on, Judas was the only member of the twelve disciples from outside of Galilee. Iscariot means man of Kirioth, indicating that he came from the village located nearly 25 miles south of Jerusalem. And though he followed Jesus for selfish and materialistic reasons, he managed to deceive the other disciples to the extent 
that none of them suspected him of being a hypocrite or a traitor. But Judas could not deceive the Lord Jesus Christ, who knew the condition of Judas's wicked heart from the outset, and even referring to him as a devil. And so he went up to the chief priest to betray him to them, Paradidomai, to deliver up treacherously. I'm going to give you Jesus. I'm going to present him to you. And these chief priests, it says that they were, when they heard it, they were glad. Remember, they were, they were counseling with one another, and they'd been plotting Jesus' death for all this time, but they had no idea how they were going to pull it off. And so now it's almost like, you know, they're probably thinking that God has divinely put this Judas in there, in there right there, and laid it on, his, on their lap. And they promised to give him money. They rejoiced. They said, who is this guy? Hey, you know, maybe God has brought him to us so that we can kill this man. They promised to give him money. It turns out they would give him 30 pieces of silver. This was the price of a slave in those days. And so he saw it. Once he, he realized he could do business with them and he could betray the Lord, he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Thinking, meditating, reasoning, talking himself into it. Figuring out over the next several, you know, 48 hours, uh, how he was going to do it. Basically, conveniently means when the opportunity occurs. And as those days went by, Judas was looking for a way to separate Jesus from the crowd. Warren Wiersbe said, the religious leaders were delighted to hear this. Now they had an inside man who could pick the right time to hand Jesus over to them. Now they could avoid a riot by the people during the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread. They sealed the deal by giving Judas what he loved most, money. Matthew 26, 15 spells out the amount, 30 silver coins. This was also the fulfillment of prophecy about the Messiah, Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. Judas didn't know it, but he was fulfilling scripture by his act of betrayal. In our contrast in our story today, we saw that Mary gave her best in faith and love. Judas gave his worst in unbelief and hatred. He solved the problem of how the Jewish leaders could arrest Jesus without causing a riot during the feast. He sold his master for the price of a slave. The basis act of treachery in all of history. So today we've, we've seen, uh, I hope you've been challenged by it. I know I have. Challenged by, about my affection towards Jesus. It's one thing to say I love Jesus. But how do I show it? And, and not to show others, but to show Him primarily. And not to be a people pleaser. How can I change my fragrance? And the answer is, of course, to worship the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the truth that it brings to our heart. 
bring us, Lord, into a place, a place maybe that's uncomfortable for us, but a place of devotion and of love and of gratitude for all that you've done for us. And Lord, you died on the cross for our, for our behalf. You died on the cross so that we could have eternal life, so that our sins could be forgiven, Lord. You restored to wholeness a life that was destroyed by sin and death and headed for death. That's the work that you did on our behalf. We could never earn it. We could never make it happen in our own strength, by our own good works. Lord, you laid your life down for us. May we be ever and forever grateful. And may we be increasingly willing to show you and others our love and our devotion for you in the face of whatever this world has to put towards us, whatever is going on, whatever pressure, whatever criticism we may receive. May we hear the words from you that we have done a good thing for you. And we enter into your rest as good and faithful servants. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand. We're going to close with our closing prayer and then sing a song together. James is going to lead us. We're in Psalm 90, verses 12 through 17. Let's read it out loud. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which you have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen. Let's sing a song together. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let a rescue begin. Come find your mercy. Oh, sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Lay down your burdens. Lay down your shame. All who are broken, Lift up your feet, O wanderer, come home, you're not too far. So lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are. There's hope for the hopeless and all those who stray. 
Come sit at the table, come taste of grace. There's rest for the weary, rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your feet. Oh, wanderer, come home, you're not too far. So lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are, come as you are, fall in his arms, come as you are, there's joy for the morning. Oh, sinner, be still. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. So lay down your burdens. Lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your feet. Oh, wanderer, come home. You're not too far. So lay down your hurt, lay down your heart. Come as you are. As you are, come as you are. The Lord bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. God bless. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.